0: Welcome to Foss and Crafts,
1: a podcast about free software, free culture, and making things together.
0: With my co host, Morgan.
1: And my co host, Chris.
0: So, this is a maybe even more personal than average episode. There is some Foss and Crafts, like topically things that are coming in kind of more towards the end, I think. But the title of this episode is personal perspectives on gender and sexuality but obviously there's a whole lot of range of experiences that are there that we're not talking about we're talking about us very specifically
1: yeah we're only two people who have spent half of our lives living together so obviously we can't speak for everyone so in this episode we're going to be talking about our personal lives and we will be talking about as Chris just mentioned, gender and sexuality, but we will not be talking explicitly about any sexual acts.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I guess adjust your considerations of listing things appropriately, but, but we will be talking about the existence of sexuality and, and, yes. and sex drives and etc. Um So anyway, I think in some ways we're doing this episode now because I guess is in terms of life presentational-wise it's maybe kind of hard to escape some of this stuff that's in terms of public presentation, at least on my end of things. Uh, and,
1: and on my end of things, I just recently came out publicly for the first time ever in my life. So let's reintroduce ourselves.
0: Yeah. So I am Chris Lemmerweber. Previously used Christopher Lemmerweber on the podcast, but I think I'm dropping the dash tofer in the future. The reason for that is that I'm non-binary. Some of that's become more visible even though I came out about it previously. I'm also pansexual and we're probably going to talk about that a good deal less in this episode and I'm going to throw it over to Morgan.
1: So hi, I'm Morgan. I am also pansexual and uh, probably more prevalent and relevant for this episode, I am also demisexual.
0: So that is a term that I think has not had as much public attention
1: which is part of the reason why we're going to be talking about it more than both of us being pansexual, because it isn't as widely known.
0: And it's also had a big impact on you and your well-being. And, and having the term, I think, you know, helped a lot with some stuff you've been working through for, I guess, you know, your whole adult life. Uh, yeah. So the term pansexual, you know, some people have kind of equated it as being the same as bisexual, right? Which, you know... Bisexual traditionally meant, you know, you're being, you're attracted to men and you're attracted to women, but the term pansexual was introduced because, you know, you may be attracted to also people who are not specifically on the binary spectrum. Which
1: is relevant for me, considering that my spouse, as we've just identified, is non-binary.
0: Yeah, so the term bisexual has been somewhat redefined in some recent times by a number of people who've said, I identify as bisexual under the same definition as pansexual, for for me at least, it's, I like the name term pansexual because, you know, maybe some people do only identify with the binary things. And I guess as a computer programmer, I can't help but see the Boolean side of things, as a, especially as a non-binary computer programmer. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. So um, other than stating the definition of pansexual, I don't think we're going to belabor that much in this episode. So we're going to start off with me talking about being demisexual. So the definition of that means that I don't feel attraction, typically, without an emotional attachment of some kind. And that doesn't necessarily mean a long-term emotional attachment. For example, I get attached to characters in movies and books and then an attraction emerges from that. But that is... Kind of an accelerated timeline usually, right? But I have kind of always felt a little bit like I was doing relationships wrong from a young age. So there's all of these social expectations about how love and relationships work. And, I mean, I'm probably one of the first to admit that in Western society, the way that that's represented in pop culture is often highly problematic. But watching, you know, movies and TV shows and reading books, there's this kind of formula that arises, right? You meet and you have butterflies in your stomach and maybe you get all stumbly over your words and don't know what to say and you feel tingles when your hands touch and things like that. And I found myself reacting to these narratives in fictional environments. But my own experience in real life never really matched up to what I was told would happen.
0: Like you said, that you had your first kiss and you didn't. You're like, oh, did something go wrong? Yeah.
1: I actually have a confession to make. I don't actually remember my first kiss. That's how unforgettable it was. What I remember is thinking that there should be more and thinking that it wasn't right. When I was a teenager and, you know, I was supposed to be this raging ball of hormones, right? Like everything in pop culture and sex ed and things like that tell you that teenagers are supposed to have these out of control hormones. And I didn't. So between the fact that I was a teenage girl with low self-esteem Plus the fact that I wasn't experiencing the things the way that people and society told me I should led to a lot of overcompensation in the relationships that I did have. So basically a really warped sense of self-esteem and also, and I really don't like this term in general, but kind of a fake it until you make it approach to relationships. Which led to some pretty toxic relationship dynamics early on in my life. And then as I got older and got to the point where like I really felt like I should be understanding these things, I realized that I just in general have a really low sex drive. I also have a hard time understanding physical attraction, both in the sense that like, I never really got the whole love at first sight trope because, like, how can you fall in love with someone that you don't know? And I don't really experience that same kind of, like, instant tension and attraction that you see in, you know, fiction, and apparently other people sometimes feel themselves. But also, in the sense that, again, reaching back to the low self esteem. I don't see myself as physically attractive to the point where if I get comments about my appearance, I have this kind of, like, standard cringe that I can't really help myself from doing.
0: Say that I think that Morgan is beautiful. Morgan makes a face.
1: And no. I understand that Chris legitimately believes that I'm beautiful. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that I'm beautiful and therefore I have a hard time accepting that compliment.
0: This also extends in the other direction. So this, this is, you know, talking about the, the challenges, the... At some times I had found it, you know, at one point I, I remarked to you that I, I found it really... I I know that you had a hard time accepting it, but I had many times remarked that I found, you know, that I thought you were beautiful and found you physically attractive and you, you know... You, you never did that to me and you know having my own self-image issues it made me you know just make me think oh okay you know so there's something wrong with me where morgan doesn't feel that but
1: but no that was that was a me problem not a you problem well or that was a me perception issue and not a you perception issue. it
0: was yeah it it Maybe problem's the wrong word, but, you know...
1: It definitely felt like a problem at the time.
0: But we... But understanding where it came from.
1: Yeah. So all of this realization about the way that I experience things and the way that I understand or don't understand things eventually uh, got to the point where I realized that I really have more of a narrative-based attraction So I don't look at a person and immediately think, you know, that they are physically attractive, with the exception occasionally of eyes and voices. Those are really the only physical attributes that, like, I can immediately have a reaction to. But if there's a narrative construction around it, if there's an entire romantic plot or even an implied romantic plot, then that attraction grows out of kind of like this longer exposure and an emotional attachment. And then also I'm typically not attracted to human bodies, but I am attracted to good costuming, which I know is a shock for everyone listening to this podcast considering that I am A textile historian and a costumer (laughs) but part of that i think is because clothing and costumes have a lot of social aspects imbued in them so costumes create a narrative in a way that's easier for me to parse sometimes than just human physical bodies um And also there are certain aesthetics that I like, which again, I'm an art historian, so that's also not terribly surprising. So I've kind of come to these realizations very slowly over a very long time. And one of the things that helped me start figuring these things out is when I discovered fan fiction, which I I was not one of those 13 year olds reading fan fiction. I didn't discover fan fiction until I was probably in my late 20s. And I liked it because I already had an entire novel or TV series or movies worth of emotional attachment and investment in the characters. So I could read a short story, but have the amount of character development that happened in those longer works. Also, realizing... Sometimes that the attraction is for a couple together, as opposed to any individual one. Also, realizing that I was way, way more invested in Elizabeth Bennet than Mr. Darcy from Pride and Prejudice was one of the key things that made me realize that I was probably not entirely straight, even though there's kind of a cult of Mr. Darcy in the Pride and Prejudice fandom. We will talk about navigating our own relationship later, but I'm going to end this kind of summary of my demisexuality with the way that my relationship with Chris started versus the way that all of my previous relationships had started. So I had never had a relationship that started slowly. It was always a boy asked me out and then we were dating. And then there was supposed to be a romantic relationship and there were romantic expectations from the beginning and also i never experienced that kind of like honeymoon phase of a relationship where everything is perfect and you don't see the flaws so with every other relationship in my life i could see within the first couple of days or week exactly how we were going to break up because i could see the incompatibilities or the flaws Straight from the beginning. And that was remarkably accurate for all of them. There weren't that many of them, but it was pretty consistent. And then with Chris, we met when I was 18 and Chris was 19 at college. And we were friends for about a year before we started dating. And over that period of time, it started as friendship. And then eventually... It kind of morphed into a romantic relationship.
0: The joke is, is that we were an old married couple before we started dating.
1: Yeah, like we bought we bought kitchen utensils together before we were dating. We bought
0: an entire pot and pan set because they <laughs> closed down the cafeteria at our small liberal arts college. But yeah. that's a that's a story for a different day.
1: So we were cooking together on a regular basis and we would just, you know, sit in my room and read for the entire day and things like that and then eventually had a physical relationship when we were officially dating and it really wasn't until, like, this month that I realized that probably what happened was we had a romantic relationship before we had a physical relationship and that's why I was able to have a physical relationship without kind of the issues that i had had in the past and chris is the only person i ever dated where i didn't know how we were going to break up from the beginning and Mm -hmm. we haven't so high five Mm -hmm. all right so now i'm going to uh pass this over to chris
0: so i came out as being non-binary about a year and a few months ago, like very close to the early part of 2020. Like you knew well, for yeah, years. Prior you, you
1: came out to me and a couple other like close.
0: Right. I mean, publicly yeah. Like publicly. And, but you knew for, you knew for a long time before that. Mm. Um, like probably like two years before that, I think. Yeah. And I had, I had made assertions that maybe something like that would be the case previous to that. But also like there are threads of this that have kind of gone back as long as I have living memory because um, and I don't know whether or not this is a thing that I, that I actually remember or if I remember because the story has been told so many times and, like, Warren can confirm.
1: Oh, yeah, I've heard this story many times at family gatherings and holidays.
0: Unprompted by me. Oh, yeah. Um, so what what happened was is that the first memory I have is my mom and my sister asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I said, I want to be a girl. And they both thought this was very funny and entertaining and kind of a, you know, they always said it in a very sweet way and then, you know, dressed me up in my sister, one of my sister's dresses as kind of a joke and took a picture of it. And I've seen that picture. That story was told like this was a, you know, a sweet thing, blah, blah, blah. But there, there were portions of my life where I was in, embarrassed by it. You know, I, I mean, so I had various feelings about that story over my life, but there was something about it there at a very early age feeling like kind of, in a sense, I was excited about wandering in terms of gender identity things. But, you know, more, especially as I started to move towards puberty, it started to shift towards more of a self-revulsion over, you know, um, myself and the changes that were happening, especially. And also kind of the ways in which um, I felt like I neither fit into a particularly good representation of a male figure or personality or and not that it was, I felt like it was an option at the time, a female figure or personality, right? So I just kind of always felt uncomfortable and upset with myself. And to the degree where, like, I couldn't look in mirrors at myself, like, for mm-hmm. for most of my adult life. I would, like, you know, I could see if there's, like, something on my face or something. And then I'd basically run away from the mirror as fast as possible, Anyway, so that was a lot of rambling, just to say, kind of give some backstories in terms of my experiences and thinking, right? But even though I posted about a year and a half ago, I'm non-binary and, you know, people who paid attention started using, you know, non-binary pronouns and stuff like that. And I appreciated all that. Like, I think that for the large part, there wasn't really... Anything that looked like a very visible, discernible change for many people?
1: Well, and part of that was because of the pandemic, right? We did one clothes shopping trip where we got you some sweaters and women's overshirts and stuff like that that you could start incorporating into your wardrobe. But then there was a pandemic and we weren't going out clothes shopping.
0: Yeah. And and those were like very minor like first experiment style yeah. changes.
1: And pretty subtle.
0: Yeah, and so, but recently I posted some pictures that look, I think, more dramatic. Like it's more clear um, of, I guess, a deviation from standard male patterns and look more femme mm-hmm. by a significantly large portion. So I, I posted this text alongside the pictures I posted, which were screenshots of the new gender alpha build. Please be courteous in giving feedback. Everything is still in flux. We expect things to be significantly more polished before release. I Basically, I posted that, and then I ran away from my computer so I didn't have to see the responses immediately. And I came back to it, and people were being incredibly kind. I mean, I'm very fortunate that I guess I have a a friend group, including a peer group in terms of the type of work I have and stuff like that, where people have been friendly and supportive, and people said nice things like, looks like it's already ready to ship and stuff like that. That made me feel really good. You know, Mm -hmm. I I felt really great about things that people gave such a strong, positive response. But anyway, the context of right before those pictures, I hadn't actually planned to post those pictures in advance.
1: Yeah, this is also because of pandemic circumstances. We are fully vaccinated and we have been for a couple of weeks. So we were actually able to go into stores.
0: So we went out shopping and we had talked about maybe also we do some clothes shopping around then. And.
1: And I kind of had to push Chris towards doing it.
0: Not in like a harsh push. Like I was like, not I was in happy. that you didn't want
1: to. It was encouragement. Yeah,
0: it was encouragement. Like like welcome to encouragement. But you know I was nervous about mm-hmm. things. And we went. And we grabbed I think like seven items that we were trying. I'm like I'm. I'll be lucky if I walk out with one thing that I think is okay on my body. And
1: uh, we walked out with six of them.
0: That was a big surprise. There was a moment where I put something on and I really realized that a lot of the things that had been, I had felt shame about myself, you know, in under this different presentation, like having the ability to do it in this presentation, like, I felt dramatically different. And Morgan Morgan commented, actually. Yeah, because, would you
1: like me to speak as a costumer here?
0: Yeah, well, we were both... Morgan was in the, the changing room with me at yeah, the same by time. By the
1: way, shout out to the changing room attendant at that particular store.
0: Because
1: she, she handled it amazingly.
0: Yeah, she made no big deal out of it. She and...
1: just, like, saw us. We, we each had kind of, like, a separate amount of clothes that were clearly, like, my clothes I was going to try on and Chris's clothes they were going to try on. And she just looked at us and then... It's like, okay, and she unlocked the biggest changing room and said we could just both go in there. That lady handled it so well.
0: So anyway, so I was trying things on. What was your, what did you see?
1: Well, and Chris initially commented, well, you know, whenever I've been putting on a men's shirt in the past and it felt tight on my upper body I always had this kind of like panic response because
0: it wouldn't match the shape of my body like in a way that felt like it was complimentary
1: yeah and when they put on this this shirt which was kind of an empire waist uh, peasant shirt like a muslin lightweight summer top that was tighter at the top and then kind of flowing underneath the empire waist and Chris said that they were surprised because whenever they put on a shirt that felt tight around the top before, they always had this kind of pe- feeling of dread. And I said, well, I wasn't surprised. I had actually p- picked that shirt out and convinced Chris to try it on. Yeah, because, that was
0: the one that I was like holding on to. I'm like, well, OK, I guess I'll try this on. I don't think
1: it's going to work. But from my own experience of trying clothes on and honestly, Chris and I have somewhat similar body shapes <laughs> in certain aspects I knew that that construction would look flattering on their body type because that style of shirt is made to emphasize certain aspects and deemphasize others mm-hmm. in a way that was very flattering to Chris's body type. And Chris was not prepared for that, I think.
0: Yeah, I think you said that I was like staring in the mirror for like 30 seconds just looking yeah, kind of stunned.
1: Chris looked visibly stunned with their reflection when they tried that on.
0: So anyway, it was really exciting walking out of there. And we went shopping another time recently, too. But basically, normally pulling me shopping is very difficult. In fact, you made a a specific comment.
1: Yeah. So in the past, bringing Chris clothes shopping, it's always felt like I was torturing them because, you know, they need clothes. And if they buy clothes without trying them on, then that leads to us having to return clothes, or Chris just having clothes that don't fit. And Chris also had, for most of their life, come to the conclusion that they hated sweaters, and it turns out it's not that they hated sweaters, they just hated men's sweaters. And it's not that they hated clothes, or clothes shopping, it
0: But I thought I did, right? Like, I thought uh, yeah. that I just hated those things, or that I just had... Um, you know, I mean, I took like a kind of a grunge adoption to fashion, you know, mid to late 90s. Okay, grunge fashion, this is great. You know, you can put these clothes on your body. They're cheap and, you know, basically just mask it in this abstraction. And, but, you know, I relayed your story to my mom who basically laughed and, because I think she, she had also experienced feel. that. Well, because you're phrasing that it, it had felt like you said that you felt like you were torturing
1: me. Yeah, me. Right? I was the one that was inflicting it.
0: But, that's half right and half very wrong right you know you weren't torturing me it wasn't you I think it's accurate to say that I was feeling tortured every time and I didn't Mm -hmm. really realize why until this moment like oh every other time previously it felt like torture because it felt like I was fighting this thing I couldn't and and you know okay there's a word for that right which is dysphoria right Mm -hmm. and I i just never associated that with that word right that that was form of dysphoria until that moment i'm like and that kind of like contextualized a lot for me Mm -hmm. i guess with other people that i know where they've experienced you know what dysphoria felt like they really very strongly knew and maybe this isn't actually true maybe it's just the impression you get from an outsider who you talk to your friends right like, it seems like everyone else really knows and it's like really clear to them and so i just didn't associate this with dysphoria and i also have friends who have done a very binary transition and i've mentioned to them you know maybe maybe if society were looser about its rules i would just wander somewhere and the and and i think to some people when they first heard that that didn't if if they knew they were doing a very strong binary transition and that was like a first really early exposure to somebody saying that they were maybe non-binary that didn't make sense to them and reactions like that made me actually doubt whether or not i was non-binary i guess part of the reason why i think that this is um it was hard to recognize that that as dysphoria was that i felt like like i had known a number of people who had done very strong binary transitions and they for them like the things were very clear as in terms of where they were moving or at least that was my impression of what that had happened I've had more conversations since where I've found out that's not necessarily the case. And also, um, you know, it seemed like, uh, you know, I kind of posited, oh, well, maybe I just want to, like, you know, maybe if society was less strict, I'd just wander somewhere. But, you know, for for some other people I knew, like, they really strongly knew that they were going to end up in this other camp. So that made me really doubt, you know, was I actually saying anything that made sense in terms of saying that I was just kind of wandering? But, like, the... Changes in terms of feelings and how I felt about myself with being able to kind of do that wandering, I mean, is significant. And I guess, yeah, I mean, so dysphoria means that you don't, you know, you have a disconnect between what your body is and what you feel like it should be. And it just didn't feel like those, I just didn't associate those things with dysphoria previously. I guess they were in a way that feels more obvious in retrospect.
1: Yeah. Which might also be why it seems like other people have this very clear sense of dysphoria is because you're hearing about it after the fact. That's right. You're hearing about it after they've already put, like, connected all the dots and put all the pieces together.
0: I mean, in many ways, I have, over the last decade, I know quite a few people who are trans and have gone through some sort of transition, and I'm like, well, why didn't I figure this out sooner, right? And it turns out lots of people have stories about why it was really complicated for them. But uh, but it seems, yeah, as an external observer, like it was really obvious and a simple thing, I guess, because just you're not in the other people's heads.
1: Yeah, and I mean, even in this episode, we are connecting a lot of dots in our own lives that took us, you know, 30 some odd years to figure out ourselves, but we're presenting it in a clear, concise manner that connects all those dots for the listener but you know hopefully what you get out of the last rambling couple of minutes here is that it wasn't clear-cut for either of us
0: yeah to tie up that wandering stuff i don't really know where i'm gonna end up i do know that i am appreciating and feeling better about myself than i've ever felt in my life by freeing myself to do this kind of wandering and i may end up in a just very maybe it's much more binary on the other end of the map or it could be someplace i mean there are aspects of myself that i think are going to never feel like they hit the binary i'm i'm always going to be very tall for a woman probably Mm -hmm. for instance you know like of the true of the average woman right there are plenty of cisgendered women who are over six feet tall but you know not but it's it's not the average you know And I think that I just don't want to put the pressures on myself to have to hit this perfect conformance. Mm -hmm. But anyway, all of this is being done at a time before I'm going on any sort of hormone therapy, which I am looking into and planning on doing. And actually I I had spent some time debating that. Like, is that a thing I want to do? I know that I want to um, free myself up to do more gender expression and Things became a lot clearer. Somebody I know made a comment, which is you're always undergoing some sort of hormone treatment in your body, probably. If I didn't go on hormone treatment, I'd be still undergoing what my body was producing as in terms of testosterone. And that would still be supplying effects regularly, right? And if I look at what the other effects are, if I was to stop having testosterone being delivered in such large amounts to my body and go on estrogen basically then i'm like oh those are actually if i weigh those directions of those effects that's the effects i want to be having on my body in the future yeah and i don't know so who knows where things will end up if somebody listens to this episode a year from now or whatever
1: this is all a work in progress
0: one of the things that people i think really jump to a lot these days when talking about gender stuff is about pronouns and for like a very good reason which is that in english and most quote-unquote natural languages pronouns are gendered by default and it's a big deal it's a sign of how you're perceiving the person right i Mm -hmm. think so maybe we should say what our pronouns are you go first because you're
1: i have the same pronouns i was assigned at birth i'm she her Um, And I have started, you know, shopping in the men's section of stores for clothes, mainly because they're comfortable and they're cheaper. And it's really easy to find clothes that are 100% cotton in men's departments, but not in women's departments. And I have uh, skin allergies, but I am definitely still female. The only time I've felt any gender dysmorphia is when I had facial hair that didn't feel like it should be on my face so
0: so pronoun wise i feel a little bit weird responding sometimes to the like what's your preferred pronouns thing and so like you know non-binary pronouns are great is what i like to say they slash them works really well especially because it's kind of what's easily available in terms of an option for non-binary pronouns and sometimes people are like well that singular they that doesn't make any sense but people use singular they all the time right i called my doctor and they said to you know drink a glass of hot water and some baking soda or something like that right
1: also i'm pretty sure like shakespeare used singular they
0: i mean everyone uses singular they all the time in english it's just said it's
1: it's not new
0: it's not new but applying it to that degree Mm -hmm. is when you're talking about someone specific right is something that people aren't always used to yeah, right?
1: in English. I in, mean, in, in other languages, there are...
0: In some other languages. Yeah. But it is... I mean, in some other languages, have much more pronoun um, gendered language than English does, right? Yeah,
1: and in a lot of those gendered languages, people don't necessarily use the, uh, the neutral pronouns or haven't historically, but they're there, which makes it a little bit easier, I think.
0: Well... But for quite a lot of other languages, it might be harder. There's something it advantages about the fact that English. My friend likes to say to his daughter, "You know, what does Daddy say about English?" And she says,
1: "English doesn't make sense, right?" Mm-hmm. And this is like a six year old who knows five languages. Yeah, she's so, pretty amazing.
0: So English doesn't make any sense, but it's very it's very flexible, right? Like it because we just kind of beat it to death with like the new patterns that are coming up. So. In that sense, English can be malleable enough to pick something up. Um, and But as in terms of you know non-gendered pronouns, you know they, them is not what I would have selected myself if I was in charge of the non-existent steering committee of where the English language is going to go, right? I really like Spivak pronouns, which is like, we'll link to those in the show note and don't need to go into them in the detail. But those did not take off in English, so...
1: And most people that you come across on the street don't know Spivak pronouns already. Right. But if you say they, them pronouns, they typically...
0: People can work with it. Yeah. Um, So I'm also okay with more feminine pronouns, but I haven't wandered, I guess, into such a direction where that's something I'm asking of people Mm -hmm. at the moment. But I used to say more that any pronouns are okay, but decreasingly masculine pronouns. But I, I actually want to question about pronouns not as in terms of whether or not we should use people the pronouns people are supplying us i believe absolutely that's showing respect and it's showing within the structure i want to actually posit a a thought experiment about why do we have gendered pronouns Mm -hmm. right like why do we have gendered pronouns at all in our language
1: i have an anecdote about you that you apparently forgot but i but it stuck with me so i was collecting information about a group of people and pronouns was one of the things that i asked people to provide if they felt comfortable and one person under the pronoun after the pronouns question just put n slash a as in not applicable and i thought that was kind of amusing and chris just sighed and was like same really that was
0: like quite a few years back (laughs) this was
1: quite a few years ago yeah
0: so there's a reason why I'm bringing up this this mental exercise, right? Because I think that people have been acting as if, you know, pronouns are a very essential part of gender in general, right? And I actually think that they're something that's being made to be an essential part of gender. But here's the question. If we were designing a natural language from scratch, having gender be attached to pronouns is a decision as in terms of what information you're prioritizing conveying in the language and there is an example of a of a uh, natural language that doesn't have um, gender attached by default it's lojban the logical uh, natural language which i only know a little bit of lojban but it's a constructed language right so much better ability to think create things from scratch what's interesting about lojban is that in lojban they um, it becomes very clear what pronouns are they're temporary variables basically there's a number of different pronoun constructions one of them's about proximity like there's a thing that's it's kind of like this and that and then there's like that thing that's way out the way over there as in terms of proximity but then there's also these ones that it's almost like sorry this is very programming language oriented but it's almost like creating a temporary variable in a let binding where you're saying here is this temporary variable, I'm binding it to this piece of information, and then you can attach more. And that makes it really clear what pronouns are to me, right? They're a way of having a temporary variable where we can attach more information about it within some sort of context. And so the reason I bring this up is I don't think attaching gendered information to pronouns altogether is essential. I'm not even sure it's a good idea. Maybe at one point in history... It did something, you know, air quotes, more useful in that gender roles were much more rigidly defined. And for division of labor reasons, people hearing he or she helped carry a bunch of extra cognitive information about what type of roles they might be performing for lots of reasons. We are now at a state in society where we're like, hmm, that's not how we want things to exist anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. So why are we choosing to prioritize that? So that was a huge rant. But I think what I'm not saying is, you know, burn gendered pronouns. What I'm saying is I want people to think about why we have gendering in pronouns, whether or not it's important. And in the Lojban example, you can add gendered information to pronouns, but it just doesn't come by default. You can also add singular plural. You can also add whether it's a cat or not, Right. Um, You can add all those types of things, but it's not an essential piece of information attached to it. So mm-hmm. rant over.
1: Before we fully end the rant, do we want to talk about relational words like aunt, uncle, niece, nephew, son, daughter?
0: And actually, let's just leave it in with you asking that part too, because I think yeah. that's interesting. Because this, this has come up. I'm very lucky that my immediate family has been very accepting, right? Mm-hmm. Very. And, and a couple of immediate family members are listening to this podcast sometimes so maybe they'll they'll hear that um thanks for being accepting yeah. um and you know the questions has come up you know well what what should we use in lieu of like aunt and uncle like and then also that led us to look at like what's the equivalent for niece and nephew mm-hmm. and you know and you know also the question of well how should I introduce you if I'm not introducing you as this is my son right how yeah. do I introduce you
1: And this is stuff that hasn't been quite as codified yet. Like they, them pronouns, a lot of people are able to grasp, but relational words are a little bit more difficult. So we kind of looked at what people are using and we picked some that we liked, but it's still an evolving uh, thing for us.
0: So sibling is kind of the starting basis of it, right? So yes, like sibling is gender neutral.
1: You don't have to say brother or sister. You can just say sibling.
0: So aunt and uncle, the gender neutral version is?
1: Pibbling, which is your parents' sibling. Okay. Um. So we're using Pibbling, Pibbling Chris and Pibbling Morgan, even though...
0: And we're not currently applying it for... uh, I don't think we're doing it for the niece and nephew type thing. Well, I
1: have been mainly because I really, really love the word nibbling.
0: That's true, right? Yeah, so that's the gender neutral version of uh, um, niece or nephew. Instead
1: of niece or nephew, you have nibblings. Which is great because you don't have to say, I'm taking my nieces and nephews to the zoo. You can just say, I'm taking all of my nibblings.
0: It's such a cute word. It
1: is. I love the word.
0: And as in terms of the... The question of well, how do I introduce you? That was, you know, hopefully, my parents won't mind that I like both of them were basically asking that, and they were asking it to be polite because they wanted to be supportive, right? Mm-hmm. You know how and do...
1: and your dad made a made the argument that well, I don't want to say
0: my child my child
1: because that seems patronizing, and for... like you're still a child.
0: And we talked about it, and I was like, oh, I don't know, I haven't heard of like a good like I haven't heard of a a good proposition for that in English yet. Maybe. There's a page somewhere where somebody suggested it. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about it. And, well, one of my children didn't feel as diminutive as in terms of age-wise, I guess. But I pointed out that um, my dad does introduce us as his kids all the time. And he's like, oh, do I? I don't don't (laughs) listen to myself speak. (laughs) But I can confirm that my dad says. Yes, I have heard this, definitely. So um, I guess that's a stand-in version of that. So anyway, that's, I think... Um, language, language is a mess because it's natural language. You know, English at least is quite malleable, so I think we can figure out how to make things work, basically.
1: Yep. So, now we're going to shift to talking about how we have navigated our relationship. So, as I said at the beginning of the episode, we have been together since we were 19 and 20, and we got married when we were... 23 and 24. So we've been together for half our lives and almost everything that we've been talking about today, we didn't have the context and the vocabulary to understand it when we met and got married. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, a lot of these things causing conflict and tension in relationships can cause serious problems right
0: well it was a lot of the stuff was a lot to navigate
1: Mm -hmm.
0: i mean we've also both tried to be very supportive i mean i think that if it's not obvious already morgan's been incredibly supportive about everything about me being non-binary
1: and chris has been incredibly supportive about me being demisexual
0: and let's express that we're also very lucky in that uh you being pansexual means that there's not as much to navigate about me wandering gender-wise.
1: That's true. And there were many personal reasons why I... So just this week, I made posts on the internet coming out as demisexual and pansexual. And there were many personal reasons that I chose to do that. But one of the factors is that Chris is being more openly visible about exploring their gender expression, and I wanted to kind of head off any questions about how I felt about it, because I feel great, because Chris has been so incredibly happy this week.
0: I have been very happy.
1: And I'm happy that Chris is happy, and I get to help Chris pick out clothing.
0: Yeah, I mean, finally... (laughs) Finally, we can both dress up for the run fair and be excited about it. I
1: am very excited about that.
0: <laughs> um, I mean,
1: one that means that I get to make a new run costume. Two that means I get to get you to wear a costume because in the past you've been resistant to me making you a run costume.
0: Yeah, well, for for reasons related to what we discussed previously. Yeah, maybe the most difficult to navigate space and actually finding the term demisexual. So there's another. Phrase that's sometimes used for demisexual.
1: Both the reason that Chris came across the word demisexual in the first place, and the reason that I, um, that I really related to it initially, is we had a conversation about whether or not I was asexual um, because I do have a really low sex drive, and one I of
0: several sex- discussions about whether or not yeah, you're it's
1: right. one of several questions about that. And we've we've had discussions about whether or not I'm asexual for probably the last like 5 years, maybe a longer. And we've been working on ways to navigate the fact that I have a really low sex drive and Chris does not.
0: Let's just say that we're at polar opposites of the libido spectrum and that's not you And know, that's
1: difficult to navigate.
0: It's a difficult thing to navigate. Um
1: so we've been having conversations for the last like 5 years or more about whether or not i am asexual and fairly recently within the last few months I had kind of come to the conclusion that i'm not fully asexual but i'm also i also don't kind of have a normal experience with things so chris
0: well you said out loud i Because I asked you, well, I've asked you before, do you think that you're asexual, you know, and you're like, you know, and you're like, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like it completely maps to me because there are these times that I have interests. So I feel like I'm just kind of asexual-ish. Yeah. And that's when I looked it up on the internet.
1: And found the definition of Demisexual. And on the WebMD page for demisexuality, it gives a list of synonyms that people often use for demisexual, and one of them was asexual-ish.
0: But I feel like just saying asexual-ish maybe doesn't fully capture it for for you because the I'm not sure everyone who's you know kind of you know like sometimes people say gray sexual for like mm-hmm. the semi. Like, that narrative aspect is really key to understanding things for you. It
1: is. Well, there was one point when we were talking about whether or not I was asexual, and I was, during that conversation, leaning towards maybe yes, and then we were having a conversation about the way I experience or don't experience attraction, and I was telling you that I don't really experience attraction, and you told me that's not true, because you watch tv and movies and you're attracted to those actors and actresses
0: i think it was hurtful in the way that i said it but it did end up
1: yeah it led to a realization and we talked through like the specific examples of people that i am attracted to and we came to the realization that it wasn't the physical attributes of any one of those people or characters It was the narrative around them that I was attracted to and sometimes the costuming and social aspects of the characters. So then we kind of started using the asexual-ish phrase and then Chris just did a google search.
0: Yeah I looked up on the internet like uh the term asexualish cuz i was wondering if there anybody had any other terms for that and you know graysexual is one that's sometimes mentioned as like you know like semi asexual but the term demisexual and its actual definition well i don't remember where it was was it on web WebMD? it was
1: a webmd uh, article on demisexual and the definition was something along the lines of just like people who are demisexual don't experience attraction without an emotional connection but in the longer article they had a list of synonyms or other things that people call uh this and one of them was asexual-ish
0: but it's expanded definition they had there because it mentioned the narrative part
1: yeah it mentioned the narrative aspect and that's part of the that's part of the emotional connection too So um, I mentioned earlier that I have been for several years reading fan fiction because I already had the emotional investment in characters so I could read shorter stories that were easy to read before bed. I had, you know, a plot and then conflict and then plot resolution and then I could just go to sleep. And eventually I started off just reading kind of the PG ones and then eventually I started reading some of the more erotic fan fictions, and it did help my libido to some extent because then I could get that kind of connection with the character in a way that more quote-unquote normal porn or just specifically erotic stories don't typically hit for me. But after we kind of started figuring out the narrative aspects, Chris suggested to me that I...
0: Maybe you should try writing some erotic fan... Because you had been writing non-erotic fan fiction for quite a while. Yeah, I,
1: ha- I have been writing fan fiction for quite a while and Chris suggested maybe I should try writing some erotic fan fiction and in my initial... you're like, no. Well, and it, ac- it also came up because in one of my stories, someone wrote at the end of it, like, you know, I really enjoyed this story. It would be better if it had a happier ending and then a winky face and I'm like I don't understand sex so writing sex scenes doesn't really seem like something I can do but Chris and I were talking about it and I decided to give it a try and I was really nervous because as I said I don't really feel things the way that you know society tells me I'm supposed to and I wrote this story and most of my stories I write them in their entirety and then so that i can edit them and make sure that the plot has is consistent and stuff like that before i post it but that particular story i decided to release chapter by chapter mainly because the first chapter if i wrote it and it was terrible i could just have it be like a standalone one shot
0: one well, you i think that was your expectation because you were saying like nobody's gonna like this Nobody's going to like the way that I write about sex because I don't understand it.
1: Yeah. So, and I I put something along those lines at the end of it. I'm like, so this is my first time writing an erotic scene and I don't think I'm very good at it, but here you go. And a bunch of people are like, what? You don't think you're good at it? And I got a really positive response.
0: And you ended up writing a lot more follow-up things, and it ended up being yeah. far and away the most popular thing you wrote.
1: Yeah, it's also, like, the longest thing I've written, other than my dissertation.
0: And more, and I edit and review a lot of the things that each other post. And, mm-hmm. um, and I ended up editing and reviewing everything before you posted it. I mean, I will say, it does not seem like it's written by a person who, quote-unquote, does not understand sex. It jumps right into it in a way that... Yeah, it's pretty steamy. But uh the that that's well, my and, description. It's and steamy. and
1: the way that I write the erotic fiction too, it's the the tag on the fanfiction sites is plot with porn because if I'm writing like a 5000 word chapter, only a thousand of those words are going to be the actual like, you know, sex parts of it and the rest of it is going to be Plot development and narrative and dialogue. And even the sex parts are mostly dialogue. Like, I don't do physical descriptions of the characters because I don't really relate to that. And I got positive feedback from readers that they appreciated the dialogue-heavy and narrative-heavy erotic scenes. So, also, when I was writing that story was probably, like, the highest my sex drive has ever been because not only was I able to connect to the characters like I do when I'm reading fanfic fan, fiction, but writing the characters, I was able to kind of, like, immerse myself in their emotions and stuff. Yeah. And I think also um, one of the funny things about it is, like, the plot development and the narrative and the dialogue and stuff like that that's mostly you know just my creative efforts but then the more smutty parts of it are just kind of like word soup of all of the things that people normally put in those things so it's like stuff that i don't necessarily experience myself but it's you know it's it's more
0: thoughtful than that though yeah it's more thoughtful than that, but you...
1: But I'm using but a, your, an, an established vocabulary and established... Uh,
0: everybody everybody uses, you know, a a palette of things that they understand from things they're building on. But I, I understand, especially for you, you felt like you were just borrowing from a bunch of those things. Cause you hadn't experienced some of that yourself, but in writing it, then you did experience interest in a bunch of those things, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, It kind of felt, and I'm going to make some Star Trek references, so um, yeah, I'm a nerd, but it kind of felt a little bit like Data or Odo in Star Trek that are just like trying to explore humanity through research and sometimes they're able to be convincing and I'm like, ha! I passed as someone with with a sex drive Mm -hmm. through research.
0: So, don't make fun of muddy romance novels
1: because they actually have helped me quite a bit
0: yeah so we said at the beginning this episode with more personal wasn't as focused on i guess the usual user freedom things and agency and so on and so forth but tying into an agency perspective i think a simple way of um, starting out talking about some of this stuff is that you know why shouldn't people have the agency to be able to explore what actually works for them as opposed to what the default assumptions of what should work for them are, right? Mm
1: -hmm. And a lot of times there's social pressures that prevent that from happening.
0: So I think that you and I both consider ourselves quite privileged in most regards. Mm -hmm. And I think that 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 isn't all eliminated by this and we're not posting this as a thing to say like you know to try to disclaim privilege or anything like that by far Mm -hmm. and i i think a lot of other people who are on the lgbt spectrum have it a lot harder and especially for there's a weird thing about identifying as being pansexual when you're in what looks like a heteronormative relationship
1: especially since chris and i have been together before either of us realized That we were pansexual or non binary. So,
0: but but in a certain sense, it does play in a lot more now because you're, if you weren't pansexual, it might be a lot harder with me doing gender exploration stuff. Like maybe it wouldn't work with you. Maybe it would. And that is the thing that some people have to navigate within their relationships.
1: Definitely. There's, and we're going to talk about like kind of the contrast that there's a lot of privileges that came with realizing kind of later in life and in the current life circumstances that we have all of these things but then there's also some detrimental things about that so on the privilege side we got married 12 years ago and 12 years ago legally there wasn't marriage equality in a lot of places and there wasn't great understanding or acceptance of trans people And I think we would have had a lot harder of a time.
0: A lot of people basically did go through a lot harder transitions and a lot harder circumstances and so on and so forth.
1: Also, the fact that we were both fully independently living adults when we went through these things. We weren't financially dependent on parents when we went through these things which meant that we didn't have the worry the worry of not only how your parents would react but how that would affect your ability to explore your gender identity or your ability to have your basic needs met like housing and food and stuff like that so we were privileged that we were able to figure this out kind of on our own terms without external forces for the most part.
0: I mean, I guess some of the lesser aspects of that though, from having taken longer is it's, it is easier from a effects perspective to be able to start transitioning particularly on the hormone hormone stuff at mm-hmm. an earlier age. It, um, which is why I am in strong support of informed consent for puberty blockers on pubescent kids who want to take that right you know who you know it'll increases the agency to be able to make them have the decision that they ultimately want to make in their life by delaying that decision Mm -hmm. um and delaying those outcomes and there's this weird double-edged sword of whether or not you hide your own previous identity right and Mm -hmm. for i think especially in the past, this was, you know, very common. It still is in some ways, you know, trying to prevent other people from knowing what your previous, you know, appearance or identity or names, et cetera, were. I'm fortunate in that I have a fairly gender neutral name. Thanks mom and dad for Chris, (laughs) but not everybody has that. But I think that I also kind of don't really have that much of a choice from my career perspective as in terms of there's a lot of stuff i've done that i don't want to disconnect myself from and it would be very easy to be able to find out that stuff anyway so mm-hmm. at this stage in my life it's just like well that decision's already made for me i'm not i'm not trying to hide the things i've done previously in my life and you yeah. know maybe i don't and in some ways i kind of feel like you know i'm borrowing phrasing from a friend you know you know why. Why should I have to have lived just one particular thing in my life, you know, mm-hmm. and be ashamed for having had, I guess, multiple experiences?
1: Yeah, well, and I guess I don't know if I'm going to call it a privilege, but you're also fortunate that the way that your gender dy- dysphoria hits, you don't feel dysphoria when people call you Chris. That's right. Yeah. So it's not harmful to you. That you already are established in your career and need to keep the name Chris.
0: For, for the name Chris, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: All this stuff is a giant mess. All we want to recognize is that this, this stuff is very varied. I think, feel like this episode, I mean, we cut out the first version of things where we said, you know, maybe this episode's very navel-gazy. And then decided, oh, well, maybe we want to re-record it without that phrasing. Actually, I said I said it. Maybe we won't yeah. it without that phrasing.
1: Yeah, way to undercut me there, Chris. Yeah, yeah.
0: well, I wanted to leave it possibly deniable.
1: But the, I think that the, the point that Chris is slowly trying to meander towards here is that issues surrounding your freedom and agency to explore your gender identity or your sexuality
0: are very varied.
1: Are very varied, but they definitely tie into the themes of the show and as it comes to your personal ability to frame your own narrative but, and frame your own life.
0: But with this being a From Our Perspectives episode You know, it is kind of navel-gazy as in terms of we're just giving our own two personal perspectives. But maybe it's helpful to somebody else, you know? Well,
1: and I think that's also better than us being like, well, we've done all of the research on all of the letters of the LGBTQIA plus spectrum. So, like, we're not trying to put words in other people's mouths or define other people's experiences.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And also another aspect of privilege that we've had in our relationship is that up until really the last couple of weeks, the last month, we've mostly been able to have passing privilege of a heteronormative couple. So we haven't really experienced many of the social fallback that yeah. a lot of members of the LGBTQIA plus community experience.
0: I mean, it's part of the debate around bisexual erasure also was, you know, whether or not people who are not. I mean, I think that that's how that's related. But I mean, that maybe that changes as visual appearances change, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I mean, and there are other fun things, too, like now getting to figure out what you do when you go to a public restroom, stuff like that. But Anyway, that's all uh, dropping too much navel-gazing here. Let's uh, instead shift towards the crafts end of
1: things. Yeah, so this is an episode about Foss and crafts, and crafting has played a role for both of us in these explorations. Aphids. So we already talked about how writing fanfic has helped me explore... My own sexuality and the ways that attraction does or doesn't work for me,
0: and all under um, free culture license. Oh yeah, and... it's
1: all it's all released CC BY SA. Also, we talked about how I am attracted to cost like good costuming. So for me, as a crafter and costumer, that has played into mostly my own perception of my own attractiveness so i don't particularly like getting dressed up in the types of clothing that are typical formal wear for the location and time period that i live in but if i can make myself a costume for a different historical era or a sci-fi or fantasy universe you know something along those lines then i feel more confident and feel more confident in the way i'm presenting myself and i have made some costumes for chris in the past as well that i have found very attractive on chris and i am very much looking forward now that chris is uh exploring more feminine gender expression in making new costumes for chris
0: Maybe even things that uh, are matching for yeah.
1: The... We can have twinsy costumes, and Chris has had some crafting things related. So,
0: I mean, I guess just doing a little, you know. I mean, the photographs themselves are. I guess you can say that photography is. I mean, photography can be a very serious crafting thing, but I don't think that my photography was very serious crafting at all. But the maybe doing the sketching over of it—that I I did some sketching over of things to kind of you know think about my own imagery just literally sketching over some photographs and um maybe I'll link to that in the Mm -hmm. show notes or something but the the other thing was uh, maybe you know we had mentioned that I was going to be doing learning to sew more and this gives a lot more immediate application for that purpose right
1: yeah one of our first projects is going to be making Chris some skirts so yeah And then also, you've been working on some drawings and sketches lately for work, and your exploration of gender things played into that as well, right?
0: Well, yeah. um, Well, I don't know. Watching makeup tutorials recently helped me be able to think of the color palette on um, kind of the distribution of a character's face much easier. Yeah. The highlights. The highlights. Um, I don't know if there's much more to say than that, but... Um.
1: Yeah. Well, there is also if we're talking about like stereotypical gendered hobbies, the fact that you're learning to sew, is, like sewing is traditionally a yeah feminine I'm, coded hobby. But we there, we both kind of think that uh, gender coded hobbies are kind of bullshit.
0: I mean, kind of all the <laughs> gender is kind of bullshit, right? Like there's That's true. gender gender roles are kind of bullshit in the first place. But I mean, so. But there's an agency part is permitting people to not be so constrained, yeah, by gender expectations, right? Yeah, um, I think the the more we open things to people being able to figure out what works for them, the better. But maybe that's just my own biases playing in here. Um, anyway, I guess that is our
1: that is our big tangled mess of figuring out our own gender and sexual identity
0: a very special episode yes um hopefully it wasn't too navel gazy and maybe somebody got something useful and interesting out of it and if the things we described don't match your experiences that doesn't also does not invalidate whether or not you fit into these categories that everybody has different approaches to things
1: yeah that's actually one of the things that i liked about the demisexual uh Definition is that it is varied quite a bit from person to person and experience to experience. And it kind of seems like a lot of people who are demisexual get to that definition because for a long time they just haven't known how to classify themselves. Yeah. So you do you.
0: <laughs> anyway, if you did find this episode useful, we would be curious to know. And I guess you can listen to the outro to hear how to contact us. And yeah. on that note, bye, everyone. Bye. Foss and Crafts is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License.
1: It's hosted by Morgan Lemmerweber and Chris Lemmerweber.
0: The intro music is composed by Chris Lemmerweber, meaning myself, in Milky Tracker and is released under the same license as the show.
1: The outro music is Enchanted Tiki86, composed by Alex Smith of the Cynic Project, and is waived into the public domain under CC01.0. 0 See Cynicmusic.com for more information.
0: You can get in contact with us on the Fediverse, Foss and Crafts, at Octodon.social on Twitter as at fossandcrafts, or you can email us podcast at fossandcrafts.org.
1: We also have a chat room. Join our community in hash Foss and Crafts at irc.libera.chat.
0: If you'd like to support the show, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash C-W-E-B-B-E-R.
1: That's it for this week.
0: Until next time, stay free.
1: And stay crafty. And this phrase both is how Chris came. A- oh, ooh. sorry. That's that's going to be a good blooper if it came out on camera. Chris just picked up the cat and she screamed.
0: <laughs> she um, wanted to rub her face against the microphone.
1: Yeah.